0: Hello and welcome to Do You Really Want to Know? Mental Health Conversations, Episode 1. My name is Alison Salisbury. I'm a nurse, a wife, a mother, a daughter, a sister, a friend. I was also the primary carer for my youngest child, my 19-year-old son, Nick, who died by suicide in May 2019. I was an unpaid mental health carer for my son for over two years before he died from his mental illness, severe depression and severe anxiety. I have created this podcast to look at a carer's perspective of looking after a loved one with mental illness. I've called it, Do You Really Want to Know?, mental health conversations, because a lot of carers don't have anyone to talk to. People always say, how are you, when they greet us, and you just feel like saying, do you really want to know? I look like an ordinary middle-aged, middle-income, midlife female, juggling all the normal responsibilities of life, ageing parents with their sporadic health issues providing emotional and financial support for children for are fledging adults, finishing university courses, moving out of home, finding their feet in the adult world of responsibilities, around finding accommodation, paying bills, dealing with normal everyday stresses. My status in our society meant that I had never felt like an underdog in my 50 plus years of life. I had never before felt disempowered. My life was the definition of comfortable. Being a mental health carer for my son was the most disempowering experience of my life. Being a mental health carer is like trying to grapple with a mystical, mythical monster. The mythical monster is mental illness. Mental illness is a spectrum. For many, it is treatable and manageable. They can go back and forth on the spectrum and lead lives of variable quality, just like the rest of us. The common denominator is that there will be support people in the background, often unrecognised and unsupported, helping to maintain a fragile equilibrium in the lives of the ones they care for. Carers are mere observers. They can have no idea what is really going on in the minds of the ones they care for. They can recognise a better day from a worse day through subtle and not so subtle clues. Carers who live with the one they are caring for can spend most of their time walking on eggshells trying to walk a fine line between encouragement, advocacy and please feel free to fill in your own blank while trying to maintain their own emotional equilibrium. Carers advocate for the needs of our loved ones who we care for. If carers are stressed, fatigued and burned out, how can they continue to advocate for their loved ones? Carers are the primary observers of behaviour and functionality and are best placed to be the weather vane or barometer of their loved one's internal life. For example, with anxiety, the line between functionality and obsession is minute, but to the carer who knows what their normal is, it can be monumental and disabling. The subtle differences mean a lot to how well and functional that person is. Mental illness impacts not only the person and their carers, but their family and friends. I've heard that the experience of severe mental illness and also suicide compared to a bomb going off within their circle. That is what the impact and ripple effect of mental illness is like. It leaves everyone disorientated, disconnected, isolated in their own grief for what has been lost. Stable mental health or life itself. By the impacts of their illness or the loss of their life by traumatic and self-destructive means, or by both, as in my family's case. On the surface, family and friends may struggle to maintain a facade of coping. Underneath, they cling tenuously to whatever support is available. Unfortunately, that support or safety net is tenuous or non-existent. At best, carers and their families have empathetic family and friends. At worst, they do not. Mental illness and suicide tends to highlight any relational cracks and crevices and increase any discord with often devastating interpersonal effects. These are often called the secondary wounds of mental illness and suicide, which compound the stigma and isolation felt by carers and suicide survivors. the role of a mental health carer accepted and understood? Is mental illness accepted and understood? I think we still have a long way to go in our society. I don't think my son fitted the stereotype of someone with mental illness and those stereotypes and falsely held perceptions certainly did not help in regard to the responses he got from medical professionals nor did it help with the responses I received as his carer. The concept of even having a disabled mind to many with mental illness is a true assault on their sense of individuality, identity and self-respect. This is just one insight into the minefield of being a mental health carer. My son was young, good-looking and very intelligent. He was 17 and a half when his mental illness first became very apparent. A highly capable student, well-loved by his family and friends. As the phrase goes, he had everything going for him. The problem was his mind malfunctioned and he developed chemical imbalance, which led to mental illness, persistent suicide ideation and eventual suicide. Unfortunately, some mental illness is terminal and cannot be effectively controlled or treated. That is about the limit of the medical explanation for my son's demise. How comfortable are people generally with that summation of the worst outcome of mental illness? My point is that the stigma associated with mental illness does not match our general acceptance of an explanation of a chronic or terminal physical illness. Mental illness still seems to be shrouded in ignorance and outdated notions surrounding a lack of mental force fortitude. Particularly in our Australian culture, for males, there seems to still be a toughen up mentality. Unfortunately, there are more than a few people who still believe suicide is selfish. It's tragic, I've been told. Yes, it is. And so is our societal lack of acknowledgement of the role and burden of mental health carers as are the ones they care for. There are more than 240,000 unpaid mental health carers in Australia. What is an unpaid mental health carer? They are someone who provides ongoing social, economic, physical, behavioural, and psychological support for someone with chronic mental health issues that intermittently or continuing impact on their daily lives and functionality. According to a recent National Survey of Mental Health and Wellbeing undertaken by the Australian Government, 45% or almost half of all Australians aged 16 to 85 will experience a mental disorder at some time in their life. It is estimated 2-3% of Australians or approximately 615,000 people have severe and debilitating symptoms related to their mental illness. My son was in this category. Mental illness is not viewed in the same light as physical illness. Being a mental health carer is not viewed in the same line as being a carer for someone with a physical or mental disability. Part of the reason for this is mental illness is not well understood or well researched. The medical profession cannot understand or explain the mechanisms as to why someone develops severe anxiety, severe depression or, or other Complex mental health issues. At best, the treatment offered is aimed at symptom control. Medications and forms of behavioural therapy are generally what is offered up. Physical illnesses, such as cancer, offer up an ever expanding range of treatment options, and these are offered, explained, and considered often with very clear statistics about the measure of success for each option. Complex and severe mental illness offers none of that hope or transparency. For every building, there is a disabled access. Every workplace and training and education facility must allow for those with physical disabilities or deficits by law. Where is there any consideration made for those suffering from the effects of mental disablement or as a result or consequence of mental illness in either workplaces or educational facilities in our society? There is a stigma implied in the words mental illness. There is no stigma attached to the words physical illness. I would really like to live to see the day where mental illness is treated in everyday situations and contexts, just like physical illness. I read an article about a mother who said she would almost have rathered her child had cancer than severe mental illness. I would have to agree with that statement. Certainly not in any attempt to compare levels of emotional pain, but simply because my son was never offered much in the way of treatment options or much hope for improvement or change. And neither was I as his parent. Another reason being a mental health carer is not well understood or accepted is because you cannot see the disability. Mental illness can disable insight and rationality, objectivity and day-to-day functionality. But if you look at and talk to that person, you may not notice anything unless you are very aware of the cues or you ask the right questions or the person is able to share their mental anguish pain and distress. What helps? Empathy, compassion and kindness. These things cost nothing, but mean the world to both the carer and the one being cared for. Why is stigma and isolation a problem for a mental health carer? Their role is not visible. It doesn't attract much compassion, empathy or kindness. Bosses generally don't want you to take much time off work because you can't be sure your child will get out of bed, eat, drink or take their medication that day because they are not doing well functionally at the moment. However, if you say my child broke his leg or my son has cancer and I need X, Y and Z, you will often be met with an entirely different response by an employer. The glib positivity mantras and phrases like go and get some sun and exercise type statements do little to help people with severe anxiety and depression. They minimise their experience and their illness. It's like saying, take this herbal treatment to cure your cancer rather than have the anti-cancer medication, surgery and radiation treatment. My feeling is that the treatment of mental health is to superficially try to attach slogans like Are you okay? A bit like the slogans we regularly hear from our politicians. Safe, bland and easily memorable and recitable rather than driven by substance and compassion. Band-Aid treatments of problems do not work. What do we then do when someone says, No, I'm not okay. We need to be prepared as a society and as an individual how to respond to that answer. Our society does not yet have the language, let alone conversation starters, to effectively provide support to those who need care and compassion. Our society also needs to find integrated health models to support those in need that do not rely on linchpin services or gatekeepers or traditional primary health models. For a mental health carer, what a day will look like is different on an hour-by-hour, day-by-day, week-by-week basis. How can you plan to work, exercise, meet others, undertake leisure care or self-care activities? You cannot without putting the needs and wishes of the one you are caring for first and making sure they are safe, supported and cared for. Often this is not achievable. So you are forever vigilant and available as a carer. Then there is the added burden of privacy and confidentiality. My son didn't want me talking about him because he didn't want to be perceived as different. His mental illness also affected his rationality and insight. Health professionals in Australia will generally not even engage with a carer because of concerns over privacy and confidentiality issues, even if it is in the best interests of the one they are caring for, and even if it means the difference between life and death, as in the end it was in our case. The disempowerment of being a carer is heart-wrenching and soul-destroying. Mental illness leads to irrational thinking and an irrational mind. Irrational minds cannot act in their own best interests. On many occasions, People with complex mental health issues need an advocate who is listened to and respected because their loved one's brain has been disabled and they are unable to act in their own best interests. Very rarely are dire concerns of a mental health carer listened and responded to by our health system in a timely, therapeutic or responsive manner. After my son died, I was looking for any positive way I could channel my grief and anger at not being able to save my son's life. I met Maxine Griffiths, the Chief Executive Officer of Mental Health Family and Friends Tasmania at the Mental Health Reform Forum shared by Dr Erin Groves, Tasmania's Chief Psychiatrist. This was in July 2019 nine weeks after my son died this was how my association with mental health family and friends tasmania began i was reading their newsletter and the same hocking fellowship grant was being offered there was a category for carers and the topic of carers stress fatigue and burnout was suggested i put in an application And out of around 40 applicants, along with another Tasmanian, Liz Everard, I received a fellowship to research mental health carer's stress, fatigue and burnout and the ways it may be best mitigated according to the lived experience of carers. My project seeks to compare the Australian carer experience with best practice models in the United Kingdom and Trieste, Italy. For those who are not familiar with SANE Australia, here is a little background. SANE Australia is a national mental health charity aimed at supporting people affected by complex mental health issues through research, support and advocacy. They estimate that four million Australians are affected by complex mental health issues. SANE Australia was founded in 1986 as the Schizophrenia Australia Foundation. The late Anne Deverson, who was a well-known Australian writer, broadcaster, filmmaker and social commentator, was a co-founder along with sociologist and occupational therapist Dr Margaret Leggett. The Hocking Fellowship Program was established in honour of the late Barbara Hocking, who was a former Executive Director of Sayings. The Hawking Fellowship Programs gives recipients the opportunity through two funded grants to undertake an investigative research project within the field of complex mental health. Focus areas could include such areas as stigma reduction, digital mental health and workplace mental health. Candidates do not need any formal qualifications or training. More information can be found at their website Sane.org in the section under Anne Devison Research Centre. The SANE Australia Hawking Community Grant has provided me with the opportunity to connect with unpaid mental health carers around Australia. The questions I have asked them are all the questions that I wanted to be asked when I was caring for my son. The questions no one wants to ask. The answers no one wants to hear. Before I share those questions, let me share my motivations for this podcast series. I want mental health and lost conversations to become mainstream conversations in Australia. I feel this is a big challenge, but we need to start having open conversations and asking the hard questions so that we can begin to feel comfortable with the answers. This is where you come in. Think of the well-known Australian TV series, You Can't Ask That. Topics such as living with HIV, so you attempted suicide, killed someone have been explored. I would like these conversations to develop along those lines. What do you want to ask about mental illness and mental health? What do we all need to be better informed about? I need your help here. What are your questions on these topics? What is someone with mental illness or someone caring for someone with mental illness would you like others to know? This forum needs to be a place where people can speak their truth, educate others and empower themselves and their loved ones. Here are some of the questions I've asked Australian unpaid mental health carers. Describe your carer role. What are the main challenges for you as a mental health carer? What are the main behaviours that require support? What services support help you in your caring role? What services and support would help you to continue in your caring role? How would you rate your level of stress related to your caring role? Describe any other impacts that your caring role has on your life. How do you perceive your caring role will impact your future? People have answered with a level of honesty that is heartbreaking. They feel largely unheard and often disempowered in their role. The next podcast will explore the answers to these questions and discuss what are the models of mental health care look like? Please send your comments and questions to be explored in future episodes to this address. Do you really want to know podcast at gmail.com.